Hey guys, this is Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and I know it's been a minute since the last time you and I have spoken, and I want to thank you so much for following the Thrive Bites podcast. And I just want to let you know that there's good reason for that, and let me explain. In almost six months, I've been working tirelessly and diligently to helping people near and far during this tumultuous year that we've had from 2020 into 2021. And I said to myself, what more can I do to inspire and impact others? And you guys know me, I'm all about thriving. I'm all about thriving from a emotional, mental, and physical standpoint. That is the reason why I wrote Thrive Medicine. And that is the reason why I started this podcast called Thrive Bites. And so I decided that I wanted to put together a virtual summit experience, gathering over 50 speakers. That includes physicians, dietitians, fitness experts, coaches, and spanning over five pillars in teaching someone else on learning how to thrive. And I call this the Thrive Formula. The five pillars consist of food as medicine, functional fitness, relationships, community, and resilience. And the reason why I've chosen to do this is because I really wanted to give more tools, more education, and more inspiration. And letting people know that they're not alone and they don't have to be ill-equipped for life and whatever life throws at you, whether it's a curveball, whether it's an obstacle, whether it's a roadblock. And I worked really hard to provide this and I'm happy to announce that it is fully released and it's fully accessible. And you may ask yourself, who is this for and what does it consist of? This is for the individual that prioritizes their health and wellness and also wants to take charge of their own well-being. It's also for the healthcare professional and the healthcare professional student because I wanted to create a summit experience that I wish I could have had when I was in school. The summit experience has over 50 plus hours plus more ranging from culinary demonstrations to fitness demonstrations to scientific medical sessions. And we answer questions like, what is Whole Foods plant-based cooking? How do I start cooking back in my kitchen? What affects my brain, gut, and immune health? What are the tools for my own emotional and mental well-being? How can I be more of service and lead by example? What kind of nutrition do I need to give my children nowadays? To how do I navigate self-doubt, self-sabotage, my inner critic? to what are the best physical movements to increase my mobility, strength, flexibility, and function. And one of my favorites is how do I create more joy, contentment, and happiness in my own life? This summit also works like a masterclass series where you get to learn and further your education. And I do this by providing quizzes with every session and I provide workbooks. And there's also recipes and very, very special speaker bonuses. You'll also have the opportunity to join a private Facebook community to further your growth and connect with like-minded individuals. So if this resonates with you, please join us on this journey to further yourself and take back 2021 and beyond. You can find us at thriveformula.co. That's T-H-E-T-H-R number five, formula.co. And come on inside and I'll see you in there. Cheers. Hey 
guys, this is Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us on the Thrive Bites podcast. This is season four, and we're so excited for you to be here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dr. Colin Zhu, double boarded in family and lifestyle medicine, and I interview the best and most passionate health and wellness experts of the industry on this platform. And we talk about plant-powered living, emotional resilience, and creating a thriving mindset. And this season, we're taking it live, we're taking it on multiple platforms, and we're taking it as a Q&A discussion as well as our interviewing of our guests. So we're super stoked about this, and please remember to like and subscribe down below, and we will see you. Welcome to the next episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Thrive Bites podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. You can be anywhere in the world, and I am so glad that you have chosen to take a few moments to join us today. And uh, this is going to be a second to last uh, episode for the current season of season four, and we're really, really excited. Uh, today's topic um, is uh, very, very um, it's a great topic to talk about, um, you know, especially in uh, the plant pace, uh, you know, movement and world that we're living in. Um, you know, we do a lot of plant powered uh, talking and conversing. I've had a lot of great guests, um, but going deeper is helping out patients, especially our pregnant patients. So this episode is um, uh, while you're pregnant, uh, how do pregnant women uh, stay healthy while being plant-based. And I think it's a fantastic, you know, topic. Our guest for today is Dr. Jeffrey Pierce. And just a little bit about Dr. Jeffrey Pierce. He is a board-certified family medicine physician, and uh, he also has um, other certifications in global health and, and, and obstetrics as well. Um, he is passionate about using whole food plant-based diet and other lifestyle medicine modalities to help people get healthier, get off of medications and live longer, fuller lives. And his goal is to meet his patients where they're at, work with them at their pace and improve their health, uh, their health one day at a time. He's originally born and raised in South Texas, has studied there um, and also has done his training um, in Northern uh, California um, as well. And also at Mass Massachusetts General. Um, he's also worked extensively around the globe, including El Salvador, Honduras, uh, Peru, the Philippines, um, just to name a few. And uh, in addition to his lifestyle medicine work, he continues to practice and teach high-risk and surgical obstetrics, mentor outstanding family, uh, family residents in global health, and to teach point-of-care ultrasound through Global Ultrasound Institute. So without further ado, please welcome Dr. Jeffrey Pius. Hello. <laughs> Hi there, Colin. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Really happy to be here. Thank you so much. I uh, really, really appreciate it. This is your second time being here. I know we've had the whole plant-based, uh, you know, team um, on plant-based telehealth, uh, you know, earlier in the season. So I'm really glad for uh, a focus session with you. So tell us where you're calling from. Uh, in the, our lovely place up in Northern California, Sonoma County, just about an hour north of San Francisco. Uh, enjoying the rain. Uh, hopefully, uh, uh, the very end of fire season is behind us, and now just uh, you know, enjoying what winter brings. 
Yes, yes, definitely. Um, here in Southern California, it stormed a whole bit, actually. So it was uh, pretty atypical. So, um, But that just adds to our current, current environment of climate change. So, But that is another discussion for another time. So um, I am so glad you're here. Very, very stoked. And, uh, you know, we've talked offline um, about this in terms of, you know, our pregnant population and how super important um, it is to not just, you know, go from point A to point B during their entire, you know, pregnancy, uh, but, you know, going a little bit deeper. So before we get into that, um, why don't uh, we let the audience know, get to let you uh, let them know you a little bit better on how did you start off um, doing what you're doing um, in regards to your traditional work? Hmm. So uh, I really enjoyed the obstetrics rotations I did in family medicine um, training uh, when I was a resident. And it was the month that I looked forward to. And even though we worked real hard during that month, at the end of it, I was uh, missing it, uh, sad to see it go uh, as we'd go on to our other rotations as we were learning um, to be family docs. And uh, I couldn't say that for a whole lot of other aspects of uh, family and work. And so, um, but one of the other areas that I did enjoy was uh, global health and HIV medicine and tuberculosis medicine, things like that. And so my first job after I finished my training was actually um, uh, living for a year in Africa, in Sub-Saharan Africa, and did some very meaningful work there. Um, but when I came back to the States um, and continued my work back and forth between the US and Africa, I was missing obstetrics. And so I went back uh, maybe five years after I finished my training and did a combined uh, high-risk obstetrics and uh, global health fellowship where I did two years of pretty intensive training, uh, getting better at uh, doing cesarean sections and uh, taking care of women with uh, very high risk uh, conditions, um, very high blood pressure, sugars out of control, um, uh, other chronic uh, illnesses that uh, made pregnancy dangerous for them. And so uh, I've done that ever since um, and uh, uh, love the work. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's a, a amazing kind of circle to kind of go around um, being a family physician myself. Um, you know, you know, as well as I do, the breadth and depth of, you know, uh, family medicine and how, you know, you can go as wide as possible, you can go as deep as possible. And um, kind of like, you know, uh, unlike, you know, internal medicine, where you have these very specific uh, specialties like cardiology and gastroenterology, um, you know, family medicine doesn't have too many, you know, subspecialties, but the ones we have um, are pretty unique. So that's really cool that you um, were able to do that, especially doing, you know, um, overseas work, you know, having done medical missions myself, um, I know that kind of work is always, always needed and is never, you know, never enough. So, you know, so I appreciate the fact that you've uh, contributed, you know, your time in doing that. Thanks. Um, my next question is, um, you know, as, you know, tell us a little bit about how you got into lifestyle medicine um, and how you, you know, made a transition to whole food plant-based um, at, you know, personally and also professionally. Tell us, you know, which one came first. Okay, great. Uh, per personally, my my own move happened first. Uh, I, having grown up in, in South Texas, uh, was exposed at the time to just omni omnivorous diets, pretty meat-heavy diets, and um, 
in college, uh, uh, watched uh, a documentary on the current factory farming situation that we have in the U.S., and that moved me to start eating vegetarian. That was back a little bit more than 20, 20 21 years ago. And um, I always kept that very private and uh, separate from my medical work as I went through um, med- uh, medical school and residency um, because I didn't actually know very much about the health benefits to it. I, I just thought it was about um, uh, compassion and trying to minimize suffering. But um, when I stumbled upon the increasing um, and actually at this point vast body of scientific uh, literature and, and teaching um, when it comes to the health benefits for our patients and ourselves and the planet, um, I started to um, talk more about it with our patients, learn more about the details so that I could um, make uh, specific and um, hopefully very helpful recommendations when it came to food as medicine, lifestyle choices as medicine. Um, and not not only were they, did d- these choices sort of work maybe as good as the medicines that we use, but oftentimes for many chronic illnesses, work a lot better um, and don't have the side effects and costs that uh, our high-powered medications and procedures uh, do. So um, that was the that was my personal move going into professionally. And the other part of that, I think, was that I uh, what a lot of providers who do outpatient medicine feel is that th- we have a sort of a grind of the typical fifteen minute visit um, where we um, are supposed to chat with a patient and help them with their one, two, three, four, or five um, illnesses that they would like to talk about today. And um, during that fifteen minutes, I felt like basically I was making sure that there weren't any fires to put out, any emergencies, and then refilling some medications. And uh, when uh, I learned more and more about how preventable and and treatable and reversible these conditions are with um, eating the right foods and and exercising and sleeping and de-stressing, that um, I uh, worked to get away from that model um, and uh, focus more on lifestyle medicine practice. Uh-oh. No. Oh, got it. Um, no, so that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so a couple of questions kind of sprung into my mind as you were saying that is, um, did you have any personal health challenges yourself? Or did you have, um, you know, maybe like a close friend or colleague or family member that, you know, had something where, you know, when, when applied, you know, lifestyle medicine, or, um, you know, going on a more plant based regimen, it actually helped uh, improve their lives or health? Yeah. Personally, I've been uh, pretty lucky when it comes to chronic illness, um, and I was making the move um, mostly for prevention, but then some things that I hadn't even thought about, and and I would assume that it's due to my changes in lifestyle, but I guess I don't have strong scientific proof, but my um, seasonal allergies uh, have gone away, and I'm in an area that's kind of famous for having a lot of seasonal allergies, Um, and those have gone away. My... um, uh, hand arthritis, uh, that would come and go has, uh, pretty much gone away. And, um, I've also, uh, lost some pounds and I'm in a, um, a a healthier weight range, um, all without really trying to fix any of those issues. They were sort of just things that, that happened as I was making these, these choices. Uh, and then, you know, uh, friends and family that, um, that I've had, 
this and that that have gone along or come along the way. And um, so I, I, I share with, with them uh, what I know, see if it, uh, see if it's helpful, if they'd like to know more about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting how, and I hear the same stories too, how like whether personally or professionally, when other of our fellow, you know, medical colleagues, you know, implement the same thing, um, you know, patients would just, you know, get better, you know, in terms of that. And I like how, um, you know, it's not something you were aiming for, but having gone and done that yourself, you realize, huh, this actually got better. And that wasn't even like a target of yours. Whereas the opposite where, you know, when we practice conventional medicine and we're giving these, you know, said medication, and then, you know, then out of nowhere, you have a side effect that comes up and then we have to treat that as well. You know what I'm saying? So it's interesting how um, it's on the flip side. So um, what have you experienced? Because, you know, now, you know, uh, you know, we are both, uh, you know, working for, you know, working with the same team um, in terms of plant-based telehealth um, as well. Uh, what have you seen, or if you can share some experiences before um, over time, you know, in terms of how lifestyle medicine has improved, you know, patients, like what are some quick, uh, maybe like reactions or feedback um, in terms of, you know, they've never done it before. And then they've gone and done services with you. And they're like, wow, I didn't realize that, you know, it's helped me so much. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the nice uh, aspects of this uh, current position working with plant-based telehealth is that so many people come to um, the come to the program, come to the practice already uh, being convinced of the benefits. Um, you know, they've read the book, seen the movies, listened to the podcasts like yours and, and, and had friends and family get better, et cetera. And so uh, oftentimes my first appointment is, oh, hey, by the way, doc, uh, I know we're just meeting. Um, I have this one one or two little issues to work with. I've already lost 50, 75, 100 pounds. I've already reversed my diabetes. I'm already off of, you know, two of the three blood pressure pills that I was on. And, you know, what can you do about, you know, A or B uh, that's still left to work with? And so it's pretty amazing to see. It's sort of like a string of success stories um, that come to me, and that's that's really nice. Um, and uh, you know, I, I do my best to help uh, uh, work with them and guide them to meeting their next goals. Um, and uh, I think the the big the big saves are often those, right? Like changes in weight, changes in sugar control, and blood pressure control, and cholesterol, and these things are uh, these conditions which plague so many of us um, in in the United States and around the world um, are just known to melt away. And then the additional findings are the ones that, you know, things I weren't, ex that I was not really expecting, but seeing, you know, uh, a patient who uh, has uh, multiple sclerosis uh, get much better um, off of some of these uh, more intensive whole food plant-based uh, dosing uh, protocols and um, uh, other conditions that, uh, that are beyond the sort of typical diabetes, hypertension, and obesity. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's interesting. And everyone is a case by case basis, but you know, as long as, you know, they can make a valiant effort, you know, be under the guidance of yourself. Um, I think it's a very worthwhile, um, endeavor. 
Um, so let's uh, switch topics and go to the nitty gritty of why we're here is, you know, pregnant women. Um, you know, we uh, love them all and uh, very, very important to our society. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, and being, you know, whole food plant based, you know, ourselves and, you know, uh, walking the talk and pre uh, preaching what we practice. Um there obviously needs to be special attention and more hyper focus within this type of subgroup in this population and demographics. Uh, what do pregnant women need to know while they're being whole food plant based, or if they are trying to incorporate more uh, plant uh, sources into their diet? Yeah. Well, uh, your point about more information uh, being. Uh, helpful and necessary uh, is true, and it affects our society on on many levels. Our current sort of lack of um, systemic knowledge or uh, group knowledge on this, and and that includes the a lot of health practitioners as well. You know, I think um, most of our training in medical school and residency is if we hear anything about plant-based or veganism, it's like, watch out for these things, these bad things that can happen. And there's, there was maybe zero training actually in all of the years that I, um, that we, that we go through to get to where we are that, that really talked about the benefits, um, of this. And that that's true within and outside of pregnancy. But, um, so for any woman who is, um, uh, thinking about being pregnant or pregnant already and uh, is already uh, whole food plant-based, uh, be reassured that there is good evidence that not only is it okay to do, um, which is often the question, is it okay if I don't eat, you know, meat or drink milk or eat eggs? Um, but it's actually uh, better in, in most every way. And we look at um, these conditions that are the focus of our clinic visits in routine obstetrical um, prenatal visits and uh, labor and delivery care, you know, the ones that we, that get all the focus are um, high blood pressure, both the chronic blood pressure problems that women come in with, but also develop specifically just during pregnancy, things called gestational hypertension and preeclampsia um, conditions like gestational diabetes. So diabetes that only affects women during um, uh, their pregnancy and preexisting diabetes. And, um, you know, preterm delivery risk and cesarean risk and, um, uh, infant mortality and fetal demises and maternal mortality, all of these things, uh, there, there's actually evidence that shows that eating either predominantly or exclusively plant-based diet, um, improves. And it floors me, the more I have learned about this, that this is a conversation that's just not happening by and large in obstetrical departments, you, you know, just about every OB department has monthly meetings or every other month meetings. And, and we're talking about, you know, drug A or drug B that might help a patient by some small amount in one field like preterm deliveries. But if we really focused our effort onto getting a, um, our patients to move much closer to a plant to predominantly or exclusively plant-based diet, um, we would be having, um, in, seeing improvements in, in all of these areas, which are the the major causes of morbidity and mortality for um, moms and their babies, so um, so we uh, are looking uh, forward to the uh, idea that there will be more education um, uh, in medical school and training for that. Um, and then speaking about speaking directly to our um, friends and family members and patients that um, that are pregnant, 
or thinking about being pregnant, um, be reassured that, you know, the things that we hear from our friends, like, oh, you have to eat this and you have to drink that if you're going to be okay during your pregnancy, that that's mostly just made up kind of things that mm -hmm. your friend or cousin or aunt or whatever heard when they were, um, <laughs> pregnant, uh, and, and tends not to be based on science. And so, um, I would say that a good reference for um, uh, for pregnant women um, is this book that I'm going to hold up to the camera for those who are uh, watch watching this is Nourish, uh, the Definitive Plant-Based Nutrition Guide for Families by Dr. Reshma Shaw, who is a pediatrician, and Brenda Davis, who is a um, wonderful uh, registered dietitian. Um, and uh, it's a book that is written for... Um, uh, the layperson, uh, but I reference it um, uh, frequently. It's got a tw about a twenty-page chapter on uh, pregnancy, um, and it's uh, uses straightforward language um, and very encompassing language because it is not just for uh, you know a strict vegan pregnancy, but for people who want to just eat better. Um, using mixed diets or om omnivorous diets um, for how that they can how they can change their diet in a way that is going to maximize their own health and their baby's health. And we can go also into specifics as well. Um, if now is a good time yeah. for that call. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, a lot of things, you know, you know, when in obstetrics is, you know, we're just not focusing on one person, you're focusing on two, you know, essentially. And um, I think because it's a very, um, you know, it's a medical slash surgical, you know, very dynamic field, um, a lot of times it's, you know, to me and my impression and my early, you know, obstetrics career, which I don't do anymore. Um, it's about, it's a lot of it is about mitigating risk was my, my impression of it. And, you know, you know, how can we decrease surgical complications? How can we, you know, um, like you said, the mortality and morbidity and, you know, and all, and all this. And so, yes, let it, less of it is actually, you know, from my, uh, you know, uh, recollection has been on the preventative side of it. And I'm not really sure. Um, I think a part of it is, you know, the lack of education, um, you know, due to the earlier, you know, medical schooling and training. Um, I don't know in terms of, um, you know, now, you know, where has the curriculum improved? Um, I know overall, a lot of schools have been trying to improve the preventative side. Um, I know my alma mater has been doing well, um, doing a better job in terms of improving lifestyle and culinary medicine. So, um, you know, I, and also I'm not, I'm not sure on a global level, if this is even considered, uh, is it considered more or less? I don't know if you can speak to that. Cool. Um, so I'd say from from prevention in general, uh, I think um, the field of obstetrics uh, it, it has done a pretty good job on when you think more broadly about, well, let's really let's work on stopping smoking, because a lot of women, for example, they're not in care um, most of their lives, but they get into care. They seek medical care when they're pregnant. Right. They want to maximize their health and their baby's uh, uh, chances for uh, be, uh, having a healthy start. And so um, there's been a good focus on quitting smoking and, um, you know, staying away from certain poisons and toxins and uh, don't uh, don't drink alcohol and don't uh, drink too much caffeine and wear a seatbelt the proper way and, and things like that. So I think speaking broadly, um, I'm uh, proud of the work that's done in obstetrics as far as prevention. 
Um, as far as uh, a focus on um, eating a healthier diet, I think that is still lacking in general, because uh, as we see in, in most fields of medicine, that uh, uh, I think there's partly it's the 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 slow gain in in better education, better uh, realization of the science, uh, moving to medical models that give uh, remuneration for spending any time talking about this and not just prescribing a pill, um, and really just uh, getting faith in the providers that offer this stuff to your patients and they will do it. I mean, you see women who smoke uh, half a pack a day, all you know, for years and years and years, and then they just mm. stop, uh, you know, uh, and turn on a dime uh, for their pregnancy. And um, if someone can do that with cigarettes, you know, they can do it with, uh, uh, you know, process ultra processed food and, and bacon and stuff like that, even though that they're, mm. uh, those can be hard to quit too. Yeah, I would say the public health, um, you know, uh, education regarding smoking and alcohol has definitely improved over the decades. Um, you know, and and over time, you know, we in terms of pregnancy, you know, um, and you can certainly update me as well in terms of, you know, fish and you know mercury and heavy metals and things like that. Staying away from you know raw, you know more raw, you know uh, uh, seafoods um, and things. In terms of the whole food plant base, um, you know, especially what you've researched, are there specifics um, in terms of more or less um, in terms of the adjustments? If someone were to be more plant predominant, um, are there, you know, uh, macro or micro adjustments that a pregnant woman uh, needs to pay attention to? Sure. Um, the, um, the, the simple part of it is that you can eat poorly, um, no matter what diet you follow, you can eat poorly as an omnivore, you can eat poorly as a vegan, you can eat poorly as a vegetarian. Um, uh, but you can also eat very well in these groups, right? And so I think as a plant ex plant based exclusive or, or vastly predominant approach, um, you want to think whole food plant based, very wide, very broad, and um, that will get you the majority of the nutrients that you need. Um, that's the a focus on whole, you know, mostly unprocessed or minimally processed fruits and vegetables and whole grains and beans, chickpeas, lentils, split peas, uh, herbs and spices, mushrooms, uh, nuts and seeds. And, uh, you know, that will get you where you need to get, uh, where you need to be as far as a healthy baby and mom now, uh, and, and having water as your drink of uh, your beverage of choice, um, taking a prenatal vitamin, uh, preferably actually taking a prenatal vitamin and eating healthily um, a month or more before you um, conceive, because uh, something like about 50% of pregnancies in the United States are unplanned. And so uh, there are, if you play the game of, well, I'm just going to start eating right and taking my prenatal once I know I'm pregnant, you're behind the time, at least 50% of the time. And um, you uh, may be uh, missing important windows, especially when it comes to things like uh, folate and some of the other uh, vitamins and minerals that play a role in having a healthy neural tube development, which is a, a step in the embryological process where the brain and the spinal cord is formed and there can be devastating consequences of not having enough of that. Um, and, uh, that's why it's important to, uh, be taking, uh, eating well, taking the prenatal vitamin. And so, um, when it comes to, um, macronutrients, uh, the two big categories, uh, that change are, um, uh, protein and, um, essential 
fats. And so for protein, um, uh, the good news is uh, that something like between 95, 97% of the American population is already consuming enough or more than enough uh, protein. And so even though our protein requirements increase in pregnancy by like 25 grams on average for a, uh, a singleton, meaning a, a single one baby uh, in the uterus, or up to 50 grams for twins, um, uh, a lot of women are already eating uh, excesses of 20 or 30 uh, or 40 grams more than they need, uh, at baseline. But, um, uh, simple ways to make sure that you're getting enough protein is, is focusing on the legumes, uh, have plenty of protein and you can incorporate those two or more times a day with, you know, um, having soy milk with your, uh, oatmeal, um, and that might be actually a better choice than almond when it comes to protein. Um, uh, and then, you know, a bean burrito, uh, for lunch and, um, maybe, a, a lentil based pasta, um, instead of regular, um, you know, white pasta, for example. Um, and you're already seeing uh, additions of protein, nut butters, um, seeds, having your, uh, hemp seeds or chia seeds or flax seeds, all that stuff, um, mixed in your diet helps from a protein standpoint. Um, and then that sort of ties into the uh, fatty acids, the omega threes, which there's a little bit of controversy in this, but the um, uh, we get short chain omega threes from our diet, and the pre- uh, great sources are some that we already talked about, which is the uh, chia seed, flax seed, and hemp seed, and some in walnuts. And um, uh, pregnant women, interestingly, are better than anyone else uh, in converting these short chain amino a- a short chain fatty acids into long chain omega three fatty acids like DHA and EPA. And so uh, some people say, well, as long as you're getting enough of the uh, flax and chia, you're going to be making all the DHA and EPA that you need in these long chain omega-3s are important for the developing brain, the developing retina, the nervous system in general general for the fetus. And uh, others say, well, you know, even though we don't have all the science that we need, it might be better to take a healthy uh, supplement of DHA and EPA um, between 200 and 300. And um, that would be typically uh, from algae, which is where fish get it from anyway. And that way you can avoid um, some of the potential risks like uh, mercury or persistent organopollutants that can be seen in our fish population. Uh, And then there's a bunch of little micronutrient um, requirements uh, that by and large are going to be met by eating this broad, uh, healthy, whole food plant-based diet and taking a prenatal vitamin. And the the eight that uh, I think about and that you'll see in that book, Nourish, are um, iron and iodine, uh, calcium and choline, folate and zinc and B12 and D. Um, and, um, uh, B12 is important. We know we talk about that a lot and I probably worth mentioning briefly here is that, uh, pre- make sure your prenatal vitamin has a, a good amount of it. You know, most people say 50 to a hundred, um, micrograms a day or, a th- or in pregnancy or a thousand twice a week will get you where you need. So, um, some women will just take a separate, uh, B12 of a thousand twice a week. Um, vitamin D tis the season to not be getting enough vitamin D from the sun because we're covered up and the sun is at a, a, a lower angle for most of us in the Northern hemisphere. Um, and so, uh, taking somewhere between 600 to 2000 international units a day, uh, it can be very important for things, uh, uh, not only maternal health, but fetal health as well. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
Hey guys, this is Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to my podcast. On my podcast, we talk about eating and cooking and living from a whole foods, plant based approach. And between my patients, clients, and my audience listeners, I get a lot of questions of, hey, Doc, how do I get started on how to set up a kitchen? Or what should I buy? What should I make? Is there something beyond a salad, broccoli, and a smoothie? I know in our fast paced life and during a pandemic, it is much more challenging to be able to teach yourself and learning how to cook. And so I partner up with Listenable, who is a leader in audio educational courses that are bite sized. And I went ahead and created a course on how to get started on a whole foods plant based lifestyle. And in this course, I put in my best tips, tools, and tricks on everything that I've learned on how to get someone started to eating more plants, getting healthier for you and your family. I talk about how to set up your kitchen from the pantry to the fridge, the freezer, to how to navigate the supermarket, to what kind of utensils and appliances one needs to have, to what do we need to make, how to meal prep, what kind of cooking techniques there are, and what exactly is Whole Foods plant based. And I'm able to make this course over 10 lessons. Each of those lessons are less than 10 minutes long. And you'll be able to finish this in an hour. You could even do it while commuting, exercising, or even walking your dog. And in addition, you can choose from over 3,000 plus original audio lessons created by well loved experts. Just use the coupon code ColinZu, C O L I N Z H U, on listenable.io, and you'll be able to get 30% off a year of listenable. So definitely check that out in the show notes and check out the course on how to get started on a whole foods plant based lifestyle. And I'll see you there. Thanks for listening. And now back to Thrive Bites. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And thank you so much for breaking down those specifics.、Um, can be sometimes a tongue twister when you're or naming all those like <laughs> macro and micronutrients. So,、um, and I definitely, you know, agree with the, the fish oils, especially from an algae source. And, you know, it's not just the heavy metals, you know, we're learning more and more, you know, from our oceans just being so polluted and so much trash and the microplastics、um, in addition to the heavy metals. And it's just very, very, you know, they can't break it down, you know, so whatever. They're ingesting, especially in their fat cells, we're ingesting as well. So, very, very important. I'm glad you highlighted that.、Um, and going back to the prenatal in terms of folic acid, and you know,、um, and for those that are watching、um, uh, that are pregnant, know someone that is pregnant, or you're about to be pregnant, definitely, definitely, you know,、uh, consult with your primary and OB you know, provider as well, in addition.、Um, but You know, we do talk a lot about folic acid. What would you say in terms of the like the natural、uh, sources of folate、um, mm -hmm. in、uh, plant sources? And would that be sufficient or would you still recommend、uh, folic acid as a supplement? Yeah, it's a great question.、Um, I. So, some patients,、uh, some of my patients would say, you know, I am absolutely against taking medications and supplements and I want to get everything from my diet. And, and 
and I want to work with every patient where they are. Um, and, but I would, I still recommend if you are willing to during pregnancy to take a prenatal vitamin, uh, you know, make it a vegan pill if that, if that is better for you. Um, it, it's the safest way to make sure that you are getting these critical vitamins and, and other, and minerals and other nutrients, um, uh, and messing around with, uh, neural tube defects is, is not a game that most of us want to play. Now, uh, the requirement for, for the average uh, woman without any increased risk for neural tube defects is um, about 600 dietary equivalents of, fo of food folate. Um, and that actually comes out to only 300 micrograms of uh, supplemental but uh, uh, folic acid. But you'll see that most prenatal vitamins uh, come with 400 micrograms. So there are numbers all over the place. But um, if you really want to focus on getting it from your food, um, a, a nice way to remember it, uh, folate and foliage, um, uh, have the same, uh, root. And so green leafy vegetables, um, have, uh, food folate, but they're in all sorts of things like, uh, legumes and, and grains and, um, and fruits and vegetables and, and, uh, in general. Um, and so just by eating widely and healthily as much as possible, then you'll be probably getting your folate you need. But what can challenge this is, uh, of course, in first trimester, usually starting around six weeks is where the sometimes quite severe nausea and vomiting um, of pregnancy yeah. can come in. Uh, and the, the uh, mild form is seen in, you know, 50% and more uh, of pregnant women, maybe 75%. Um, and the severe form, thankfully, the one where it gets you admitted to the hospital almost, uh, or, or sometimes quite literally, hyperemesis gravidarum, thankfully is in a, a percent or less of pregnant uh, population. But still the nausea and vomiting can be such that you're not eating a well-balanced, well-rounded uh, diet. And so if you can you know, stomach a, a pill uh, uh, when you're at least nauseous during the day, um, uh, sorry, at least nauseated during the day, that can help uh, guarantee that you're getting enough uh, in that critical uh, early, early uh, portion of first trimester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's good. It's good to, I remember my uh, rotations um, and clerkships uh, during the OB rounds where, uh, you know, they were just, <laughs> they were just knocking back um, at the hospital, they were stocking with uh, Shasta. And if anyone knows what Shasta is, it's kind of like a very, uh, it's a, uh, it's kind of like, uh, what's a popular what's a popular soda that everyone drinks now LaCroix or something like mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. uh, but it was just all ginger flavor right mm, yeah um so they're just knocking back you know all those <laughs> you know hospital grade um and uh I I've seen a couple of cases of hyperemesis gravidarum it's not fun and for me personally I would take pain over nausea any day so and imagine having weeks and weeks of that it's just not a fun fun uh party to be in um, so we're going to switch gears a, a little bit. And um, in terms of, um, you know, in general, are there any things to avoid, um, you know, uh, during this time period, um, especially, you know, there's a lot of things to pay attention to and be, uh, you know, mindful. And we can obviously spend a whole session on this, but, you know, while you're whole food plant-based, is there anything that we have to pay attention to, to avoid? Hmm. Um, so... Uh, some that that we've touched on already that uh, most people are already doing well with, um, but worth mentioning just briefly since we are uh, tackling this as a category is um, 
cigarettes uh, uh, as uh, very important to avoid in its effects on the size of the baby and preterm delivery and infant mortality and, and whatnot. So um, if you've been thinking about quitting, now's the time. Um, and then let's see, alcohol uh, as well. There's probably no safe amount to drink um, when you're pregnant and the official US and United Kingdom uh, guidelines recommendations say um, to uh, to not drink any. Um, the uh, other ones would be, um, we've talked about the fish, uh, but for someone who's eating exclusively plant-based, that won't be an issue. So that's great. Um, there are uh, questions about, oh, like um, uh, sprouts, you know, sprouts uh, are sometimes uh, contaminated uh, with bacteria related to the um, really animal um, uh and fact factory farming, um, systems, but, uh, you know, seeing contaminated sprouts is a risk and you want to minimize that, uh, people who are predominantly, um, uh, plant-based, but say eat a little bit of cheese should stay away from all unpasteurized cheeses and, um, all the soft cheeses, even if they say pasteurized is probably safer to stay away from those. Um, excessive amounts of things like if we were if we wanted to think about someone who's you know already hardcore gung-ho plant-based and and doing everything right and it doesn't want to have is a, on a no salt diet and so is getting their iodine from sea vegetables um we there are a couple that you have to worry about the nori which is uh the seaweed that uh, is generally wrapping your veggie sushi uh, uh with um because you shouldn't be eating um uh sushi during uh, vet, uh seafood sushi during pregnancy um but uh if it's uh, if you're consuming it that's probably a decent source of iodine um we need about uh 150 micrograms per day as a non-pregnant adult, but during pregnancy, a little bit more, 220 micrograms a day. And so, um, uh, iodized salt, you know, a, a half a teaspoon, uh, uh, will bring it to you. But if you're not having salt, the nori is a decent, uh, way to get it. But, um, things like kelp, um, uh, which has a lot of iodine, um, can have too much in pregnancy. I think I saw a half a teaspoon of kelp is already over a thousand micrograms of iodine, and that's in a potentially dangerous level, uh, and it can affect your uh, your fetus's uh, developing thyroid. So probably best to stay away from uh, kelp and um, wakame and dulse and arame, um, other than maybe uh, intermittently, and then um, uh, you know maybe once a week in small amounts, and then always staying away from hijiki, which is that type of seaweed that happens to be high in arsenic. Mm -hmm. those, are, those are a few that come to mind. I'm sure there are others that I'm forgetting, but from a plant standpoint, <laughs> no, that covers, that covers, uh, most commonly for sure. Um, I think most sushi, especially, uh, you know, uh, you know, seaweed paper, um, specifically that would be more like nori and, you know, most of the, the sushi that are, that is wrapped. Um, you know, you're actually taking me back to my culinary days where we actually, <laughs> you know, did a lot of this. Um, we experimented with, um, you know, with different kinds of, uh, um, you know, sea, uh, seaweed as well. Um, and also it's important to knowing, uh, just to add on to that, you know, country of origin, um, mm. and, you know, uh, like 
you know, where some waters could be more heavily polluted and, you know, things like that. So that's also something of note and, uh, and just looking at it and seeing the source and seeing if it's, you know, more organic and, you know, things like that is important to pay attention to. So as we, you know, about to close out, um, I think, uh, you know, it's always a good question to kind of think about, you know, because we're still, you know, in a pandemic and, you know, we are, you know, being more indoors, is there adjustments that you would recommend um, in terms of like whether it's the kitchen, the pantry, fridge, or freezer while you're pregnant to kind of maybe stock up on or to minimize just for, um, you know, just for success, you know, um, mm-hmm. if they are spending more time? Um, because we're obviously in a very unprecedented time and, you know, pregnant, you know, like everyone else is more indoors. Is there something in our kitchen and pantries that we can adjust to make it uh, more of a successful environment for them. Hmm. Well, there certainly have been a lot of um, uh, very challenging times uh, during this last uh, these last two years, and uh, one there are a few benefits uh, from related to the COVID pandemic, and a lot a lot of people are eating um, are preparing their own food more, which of course is a big challenge for the restaurant industry, um, but for our own health, um, knowing that. Uh, added oils and added salts and added sugars are most consumed in processed foods and in restaurant foods overall. Um, one of the benefits is that we're cooking our own stuff more. And um, that means that you are in control of what you put on your plate. And so uh, in our kitchen, for example, we have, we order a lot of bulk and um, Having you know dried beans, dried grains, dried lentils, all this stuff um, uh, allows us to have something that we can throw in our. We have we use an instant pot that we can batch cook and have uh, as far as uh, 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 source. I'm not pre- I'm not pregnant uh, by the way. Um, in case you're wondering, but just general general recommendations. Tell. Yeah, <laughs> the camera angle uh, makes it. Like, but um, the but just speaking in general, um, and then this goes holds true for women that are that are pregnant is uh, having all these things batch cooked, ready to go. You've got your high protein sources uh, available, um, and uh, you know you can instead of if you don't buy the three bags of. Uh, potato chips and and corn chips and things like that. You won't have them in your house, and you'll have these other things to snack on um, and to eat uh, pretty much as much as you want. When we're talking about these nutrient dense but calorie sparse or calorie poor foods um, that are that that are basically just about all whole food plants, other than nuts and seeds. Um, and so those are some things batch cooking, have them ready, having things prepared. If you're, if you're having the, um, nausea and vomiting of, uh, first trimester, or if you're one of the unlucky women who has it during second and third as well, um, for some, uh, staying away from saturated fats, um, and having something cold to sip on small meals. So, you know, green smoothies with some, uh, fruit and, uh, omega threes like, uh, chia and flax in there can be something that's nice. And then focusing on the ginger, just like you were talking about Colin with, uh, you know, ginger in any form that you can handle, um, will be helpful for you during these times as well. Yeah. I was about to say like, you know, would you be able to just incorporate any form of ginger? Um, I use ginger a lot in smoothies and stuff like that, but just brewing, just ginger tea. Do do you find that that has helped with bouts of nausea? Sure. Yep. Uh, ginger tea, ginger ale, ginger in your smoothie, ginger in your food, 
and, and um, yeah, I, I made an assumption. I was seeing a patient, a pregnant patient who was from Nepal um, a, a month or two ago, a couple months ago and said, oh, well, you know, I didn't mention it, but you guys probably put a lot of ginger in your cooking because that's one of the staples when I'm making my uh, South Asian cuisine. Um, and they're like, no, we don't, we don't ever cook with any ginger. And so I said, okay, great. So that might be something that you might want to add, even though it's not a traditional flavor for you and your family, but that could be something that you could add to your cooking as well. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, so yeah, so we're going to close out here. Um, I know that uh, you have brought uh, some plants, um, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of show us, you know, what, you do, um, you know, for your own household, uh, what do you have uh, going on? What did you uh, want to show us? Sure thing. Okay. I'm going to reach over and see if I don't uh, pull the computer off the table here. One second. Okay. Okay. So um, uh, some people who uh, follow me on social media or, uh, or something like that will know that I like to garden a lot and that gardening is a uh, is something that I recommend to everyone that I that will you know walk slowly enough for me to talk to them about it um, uh, but uh, here are some things that are growing in our garden right now um, and uh, so uh, this little guy is a Mexican key lime um, which uh, is quite delicious and you can put on your beans and your greens and whatever else you're eating this is a different kind of lime called a bear's lime. This is a Meyer lemon. This is oh, a, they're so great, right? A little sweeter yeah. than the average lemon. Here's a Satsuma mandarin uh-huh. and our first um, um, navel orange uh, pick for the season. And um, so these are a bunch of different kinds of citrus, uh, which um, reminds me of a great way to use that is um, with your iron rich foods, whether it's at the time that you're taking your prenatal vitamin or you're just eating your other iron rich foods, um, that this will help with the absorption. So we throw, um, uh, citrus, uh, either eating it raw or in the case of the lemons and the limes, um, in our foods, um, quite regularly. Um, and that's one of the benefits of it besides the fact that it tastes good. And the other thing that's growing right, uh, so well right now here in December are the greens. And so, you know, yes. we've got, there's some chard, which is one of those that uh, high oxalate that holds onto its calcium a little bit more, but still is very healthy for you. And it comes in so many different beautiful oh colors. My oh um, my God. And um, the, oh. uh, you know, we still call them greens, but sometimes they're not so green when you look at them, but be- these beautiful purple colors and collards and kale and uh, mustards <laughs> um, all brought it, uh, you know, we'll all bring the folate that we've been talking about and the iron and yes, all these uh, wonderful things. And we can't forget the tree collards, uh, oh, which wow. are beautiful um, to look at and even better to eat. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Thank you sh- so much. Uh, makes me think of my show and tell days back in <laughs> back when, when we were kids. You remember those? <laughs> very similar. Very similar. Um, Except I think and it also, would have been like a Nintendo or or something before, but now now it's uh, <laughs> now it's fruit and veg from the garden. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it also makes me think about as you were showing that how we also because we're so used to you know for those of us that haven't grown up on the farm or haven't really picked our own uh, produce like literally from the ground um or harvest them um 
we tend to really discard, you know, produce that isn't attractive looking or, you know, <laughs> ugly produce, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you have, um, is it nutritionally, you know, it's because you're, so, you know, you have such a green thumb. Um, nutritionally speaking, do you find that is much of a difference when it's not attractive or you think that we should still go for them as well? Give them some love. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I, I, I think one of the benefits of, of growing your own stuff is that you are going to consume more of it than um, what even makes it to the shelves at the market, right? So the stuff that makes it to the shelves at at wherever you do your shopping or at, even at farmer's markets are the stuff that looks the best, that has the best curbside appeal um, so that you'll stop by and, and, and get it. And so a lot of that stuff was tossed, hopefully composted, but otherwise not used for consumption. Man, when when I'm growing uh, chard, I will I will still eat the stuff that's been mangled by slugs and snails, and you know, uh, picked apart by aphids and all the other things that uh, that are challenges for us in the garden. Um, and I wash it off, and it's not the prettiest thing. And I don't post those on uh, you know Instagram, uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put them in the pot uh, nonetheless. And um, you know, I think. It also ties into when you're asking about nutrition, nutritional value, I think things that are picked very, very early and sent across the United States or from other countries, um, uh, and especially if they aren't grown in the best soils, um, tend to not have the same levels of uh, plant-based nutrients like the phytonutrients and the antioxidants and whatnot. And so um, picking them at their just peak uh, ripeness um, allows them to taste better and uh, are going to get you uh, all these extra nutrients that will keep our, uh, keep ourselves, uh, uh, keep ourselves healthy and our pregnant patients developing their fetuses, their babies to grow up big and strong. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. Um, You're referring to the number of food miles they have to travel to. And uh, not only that, you know, they have to put all these chemicals on it just to preserve it. So yes, the closer, you know, in location and proximity, the better. So um, Dr. Jeffrey Pierce, thank you so much um, for being here with us and spending a little bit of your time um, and sharing your wisdom and expertise with us. Um, please, uh, you know, for those that want to, you know, reach out to you, find you on social media, or even see you um, as a provider, as a uh, lifestyle medicine plant-based physician, where can they go to find you? Sure. Uh, thank you uh, for asking that. I am on, uh, I'm on Instagram and will post mostly fun things from the garden, uh, but uh, hopefully try to make references to why they are healthy for us at uh, Dr. Jeff Pierce. And then um, I am licensed in California and Texas and in Florida. And so if you are uh, interested in uh, a consultation, whether you're a man or a woman or pregnant or not, uh, happy to see you and uh, walk the path of, of wellness with you. So thank you very much. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. And we'll uh, definitely put that in the show notes um, after this goes on air. So thank you again, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Pierce. And, uh, you know, guys, thank you so much for watching another episode um, of Thrive Bites Podcast. If you uh, enjoy this, please like and comment and subscribe. And if you feel that this is a benefit for someone else, please let them know as well. And um, until then, please say goodbye to Dr. Jeffrey Pierce. (laughs) Thank you you so much, my friend. (laughs) Thank you. Hey guys, that was another episode of Thrive Bites. If you like that episode, please subscribe and follow weekly for new episodes. 
And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.